It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The perfect season dream, it's officially dead. With that, welcome into another episode of Locked on Rockets, your home for podcast analysis on all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship. Friday's show is brought to you courtesy of our friends and partners over at Vivid Seats. Download the Vivid Seats app and use the promo code Locked On, and you can get $20 off all orders of $200 or more as a new customer. So as we chat this Friday morning, we're doing so in the aftermath of a 110-100 to loss the Rockets suffered late Thursday night at home to the Indiana Pacers. That, of course, secures the fact that the Rockets, as we already knew, will not have a perfect season. They're not going to win all 103. That would conceivably be the minimum. Five preseason games, 82 regular season, and 16 postseason. There are going to be ups and downs. Thankfully, this down occurs in the preseason when they really don't count. James Harden led the way with 17 points. Carmelo Anthony had 16 points on a very nice 6 of 9 from the field, 4 of 6 from 3. He's now shooting 7 of 12 from 3. That's 58% in this limited two-game preseason sample, which is very encouraging. And then another another strong showing off the bench from Michael Carter-Williams, 15 points, 5 assists, 5 rebounds, very well-rounded in his 29 minutes, 7 of 12 from the field, and a team-best plus 17 in the plus-minus in those 29 minutes. More on him in a few moments. But generally, the way we're going to break down today's show is through our usual three points recap, but our first segment will be just some general thoughts on the loss, an overview of what we learned from this game, which in the grand scheme is not that much. And then the latter two segments, we're going to flow into two matchup-specific things that I took out of it, most notably the struggles, relatively, of Marquise Chris as the starting center in place of Clint Capella, and then the strength of the Rockets with Carmelo Anthony on the basketball floor, particularly a stretch in the third quarter when the Rockets played Carmelo Anthony at the five, and that actually uh, correlates a little bit with just how well Marquise Chris plays and how many minutes he earns moving forward. To start with, though, I want to discuss why the Rockets lost the basketball game and why I'm really not that discouraged. Now, there's the obvious. It's the preseason. These games don't count. I understand that. And the Pacers are a quality team. But besides those obvious factors, it's that the reasons for the loss are easily understandable and they don't really sound off any alarm bells in my mind. For starters, the defense. The Rockets gave up 110 points tonight, uh, or Thursday night, I should say. They gave up 115 in the preseason opener to Memphis. Look, P.J. Tucker has not missed, ha- has not played in either of those games with a sore back, and Clint Capella was limited in the first game, did not play any in the second game with a sore foot. So if you take away Clint Capella and P.J. Tucker, yes, the team's defense is not going to be good because those are by far their two most important defensive players. It is what it is. Now, if you had any concerns about those guys long-term and their health, then yes, that would be an alarm bell, but 
I don't see any of those from everything I've heard being around the Rockets, and I was able to get a little bit of a of a vibe being around the players and the coaches at Toyota Center yesterday. I don't see anything to be alarmed by. I think that these are injuries, even if you want to call them that, that certainly just bumps and bruises they would play through if the game's counted, but if it's the preseason, there's no reason to push the envelope. Gerald Green also set out with a tooth extraction. But generally speaking, if your defense doesn't have its two best players, and Clint Capella and P.J. Tucker are clearly the most valuable for the Rockets, you're going to struggle. It's not going to look pretty at times. Beyond the defense, they turned the ball over 26 times, but of the, the turnovers, look, six were from James Harden, six were from Eric Gordon, three were from Chris Paul. I've said before, the preseason is not the place to gauge those types of players. Generally, they're going to be defined by if the three-point stroke is falling on a given night, and generally speaking, it wasn't. James Harden, three of nine, Chris Paul, one of five, Eric Gordon, two of five, which was a little bit better, but Chris Paul looked great in game one. He made five of six threes. In Game 2, he only made 1 of 5, and he looked not so great. In fact, he was a team worst, minus 29, in his 29 minutes. Not all his fault. They did put Chris Paul with Marquise Chris a lot, and I think Chris was a bigger factor in the Rockets' negative performance in those minutes than, uh, than, than Chris Paul was. Nonetheless, the Rockets' three big guns, as far as playmakers, scorers, did not play that well. And if that translates to the regular season, that's not going to bode well then either. But the thing to remember, again is that you're not going to see accomplished players like that pushing the envelope in the preseason. For James Harden, for Chris Paul, for Eric Gordon, for players of that stature, the preseason is basically about conditioning. They want to play 25 to 30 minutes a night to make sure they're in shape for when the season starts for real on October 17th in a little under two weeks from now. But they're not going to hit the turbo button. They're not going to explode to the bucket, take a lot of contact. They're going to largely hover on around the perimeter. They're going to try some passes without being especially daring in terms of compromising their body to get in the optimal position to find the shooter. And what happens? Well, you take a lot of threes. Some nights you make them, some nights you don't. And the passes, because you're making them a greater degree of difficulty, in part because you're not hitting that turbo button, you're not taking a lot of potential contact on the drives, then more of those are going to be predictable. More of those are going to be intercepted. So yes, the Rockets 26 turnovers, they need to cut those down. Yes, generally speaking, James Harden needs to be better than 5 of 14 from the field. Chris Paul needs to be better than 2 of 7. But again, the preseason is not the time to judge those types of players. I think they're going to be just fine. There's a tweet I got during the game from a listener saying, Carmelo Anthony, James Ennis, Gary Clark, Isaiah Hartenstein, and Michael Carter-Williams, the only Rockets who played well tonight. I think that's probably a fair assessment, but the good news with that is those are the actual variables. Those are the guys that actually have something to prove in the preseason. And other than Marquise Chris, I would say that group of Rockets generally fared well. And so that's why I largely come out of this, besides the fact that the preseason, the result really doesn't matter, fairly encouraged and in the sense that your variables with something to prove played pretty well. Carmelo Anthony, again, 16-5 and five in his 31 minutes, made 6 of 9 from the field, 4 of 6 from 3. Isaiah Hartenstein in 12 minutes as a backup center, 9 points, 2 rebounds, 3 of 5 from the field, made a 3. Now he did tweak an ankle, I'm assuming that's a retweak because he's been battling an ankle injury in camp, so we'll have to see what his availability is moving forward. Gary Clark, played 17 minutes, got some run with the regulars. You could see him developing as a cheap in-house 3 and D option, maybe not this season, but years beyond. He played pretty well with that trust he's earned in Mike D'Antoni. Eight points, again, on 3 of 5 shooting, or 3 of 6, excuse me, in his 17 minutes. James Ennis, after a game one in which he didn't really get that much playing time because of the freedom of movement officiating emphasis fouled out in just 19 minutes, Ennis played a game-high 
32 minutes and had 12 points, six boards, five of 10 from the field, two of three from behind the arc. So it looked like he was confident with his stroke, which is obviously a big deal. He didn't shoot that well in Detroit after his trade at the deadline this past year. He seems to be starting off hot, which is a good sign. And also he's just lethal in transition and his ability to run the floor gives the Rockets dimension that even last year with Trevor Ariza and Luke Bamute, they did not always have at that position. And then, of course, there's Michael Carter-Williams, who, through two games, has been, I would say, the biggest eye-opener, the biggest revelation for the Rockets. Yet again, he was able to slash at will. We even saw him have a couple of nice post moves down in that 7-8 to eight foot range as well, which I think is very important because against better teams and regular season defenses, you are going to see it be a lot more difficult to get straight to the cup. So if he can make that little Sean Livingston in-between shots, variations of things in the 8 to 10 foot range, then that's going to make it all the easier for him to still be dynamic even without an outside shot. Now, he did go 0 of 2 from 3, so unlike game 1, they did force him into taking a couple outside shots. One of those was ugly and was airballed. That's something to watch moving forward. How many threes does he have to take? Ultimately, 29 minutes, 12 shots, only two of them from 3. That's not too alarming. It's more than game 1, of course, but over the course of time, can he maintain the driving lanes that he has had to where he can be successful without having to make threes at a respectable, passable level? That's something to watch. Hopefully he can, but if the three-point attempts start to tick up, then that shows you that defenses are making the right adjustments against him, and then it's going to be on Michael Carter-Williams to adjust back, mainly from the standpoint of just make enough threes to at least be respected. Can he do it? Stay tuned. I'm not going to say that having to take two threes is anything particularly alarming. All in all, it was a great game for Michael because he's able to get out in transition. He understands angles so well. He can play to his strengths, which is something we said after game one drive to the bucket, get fouled, and as far as the spacing goes, let the other four players on the court do that, which is something he has in his favor in Houston and did not in Charlotte. So I'm not going to say that two threes, two misses from behind the arc or anything to be too concerned over, just something to keep in the back of your mind moving forward with him. Watch, see how many threes he he's forced to take, because if that percentage, the proportion of his shots taken from three creeps up, then that is something that's going to be something, I don't know, at least to worry about moving forward. So far, he's been great, so I don't even think it's anything particularly to be concerned with at the moment. Now, one guy I think you might should be concerned about is Marquise Cruz. We'll talk more about him on the other side, but for now, I do want to pause and acknowledge our awesome sponsors over at Vivid Seats, because without the support of sponsors such as them, we would not be able to bring this show to you as frequently as we do the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. And if you want to attend any of these preseason games with the Rockets, they have another one against the Shanghai Sharks on Tuesday night, well, Vivid Seats can help you out. Because one thing I like, and I've always liked as a fan with the preseason slate in the NBA, you can get some very good tickets, lower level for cheap, in a way you might not be able to in the regular season. And so if you want to go, Vivid Seats can help you out. But if you want to invest more for the higher quality of games in the regular season, of course, they've got those games as well. Really, whatever game you want, and it doesn't even have to be sports, this goes all the way into entertainment as well, concerts, you name it, Vivid Seats has it. And they make it so easy for you to attend the concert, the show, or the sporting event of your choice, and all at a great price. That's because Vivid Seats has become the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to, and they make the buying process remarkably easy. You can sort by price, or even look for seats in the specific section and row of your choice. Now to make things even better and save even more money, Vivid Seats is giving our Locked on Rockets listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to, to receive $20 off all orders of $200 or more. 
to take advantage of that, go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. You can also go to vividseats.com and then use the promo code Locked On for $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer. Every purchase is then backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. So from the biggest concerts and games all the way down to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. So support our sponsors, download the app, or go to vividseats.com and enter the promo code Locked On for $20 off your orders of $200 or more as a new customer. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, jumping back into the program, we let off discussing a general overview of the loss for the Rockets, 110-100 to against the Pacers on Thursday night at Toyota Center. Some general thoughts, the box score lines for the top Rockets that played. And generally, I don't think it's anything to be alarmed about. Again, the problems defensive without Clint Capella and P.J. Tucker. If those injuries are substantial, that would be something to worry about. I don't believe they are. Offensively, 26 turnovers. But again, James Harden, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, when... The lights come on in mid-October for the real games. I'm confident they'll be ready for them. Also, the Rockets scored just 18 points in the fourth quarter, but that's what led into garbage time. And if garbage time doesn't go well for you, again, what does that really mean in terms of translating to the regular season? The one thing that could translate is the play of Marquise Chris, who got the start in place of Clint Capella. And in his 21 minutes, he was actually minus 13 in the plus-minus, which other than Chris Paul, and I mentioned earlier why I think that's an outlier, was the worst plus-minus of any Rocket on the entire team. He was just 2 of 8 from the field, 5 points, 5 boards, and was largely outplayed by Isaiah Hartenstein, who 9 points, 2 boards in his 12 minutes, made a 3, was a revelation with his just significant level of hustle, I would say. Now, as far as a battle for the backup center spot, I'm not sure what to make of where Isaiah Hartenstein is because he seemed to retweak his ankle in the very last minute that he played, I believe, in the third quarter. We'll have to wait and see today. The Rockets do have an open practice at Toyota Center mid-afternoon uh, exactly where he's at medically because I think with an ankle tweak, sometimes you don't really know the first night. It's how you wake up the next morning, the level of swelling, how much weight you can put on it. I do think the Rockets would push the envelope with Hartenstein if at all possible because it's a preseason where you want to use this to gain data points on young players like Marquise Chris and Isaiah Hartenstein and anyone else in a way that you can't in the regular season because the games are so meaningful unless it's a blowout one way or the other. So I do think they'd like Hartenstein to be out there. He missed the first game with the ankle injury, came back, appeared to retweak it. So if it's possible for him to play, I think he will. It's not like... Clint Capella and P.J. Tucker, where if, if you're sore at all, you'll sit because you're confident in what you have. They want to know more about Chris and Hartenstein, but can Hartenstein medically be out there for the next preseason game, which is Sunday afternoon in San Antonio? Stay tuned. As far as Chris, though, I mentioned five points, two of eight shooting, five rebounds. He did have four blocks, which is a positive sign, but he also had three turnovers. The concern with Chris, I would say, is he just seems a step slow. Starts mentally in terms of I think he's not really in sync yet with this new offense in Houston, and his decision-making process is a bit slow. He's not 
cutting to the rim, the timing on the lobs is off. You can see the Rockets want to get in, involved in that. That's why I think they had Chris playing so much with uh, Chris Paul in this game. But his decision-making process, exactly when to cut, when to set the screens, he's still not there yet. Keep in mind that he's one of the newer Rockets. He's also one of the youngest players on the entire team. So to some degree, that's understandable. But again, it's the preseason. This is a chance for him to play more. Rockets also have to make a decision on his year four option by October 31st. So while the slow start might be a little bit understandable, at the same time, it's unfortunate because the Rockets do need to get a read on how much they have in him before the real games get here in less than two weeks. Right now, we only have three preseason games left. And I would say the step-slow characterization transfers into some non-middle elements as well. One thing that I was really concerned by was the amount of times that Miles Turner, an established NBA veteran who you wouldn't think is playing with an edge in the preseason, just beat Chris up and down the floor in transition for easy buckets, especially early in the third quarter when the Pacers went on a run right out of the half, I believe 11 to nothing at one point. The bottom line is, both mentally and physically, I think Marquise Chris and the Rockets are going to see a lot of things on the tape that he needs to clean up. It was not a good game for him, both in terms of the decision-making process and, I thought, just in terms of the general effort level. And maybe sometimes it's one of those things, especially for young players, if you feel like you're letting the team down or you're struggling on one end of the floor, then sometimes it can kind of take a toll on your effort on the other end because you're frustrated with yourself. I think that's a possible explanation. Whatever the case, he needs to figure it out quickly because, again, just three preseason games to go, and the Rockets have to make a decision on his Euro 4 option, which we've talked about before, by October 31st. That said, while we've laid out the negatives a lot with Chris, and he was plus 20, by the way, I do want to give him credit in the plus minus in game one for the Rockets, but as, as I explained, I think that was a little circumstantial as well. I don't think he played quite as well as numbers would suggest, although he did get better in the second half of that game in Birmingham against the Grizzlies. The reason the Rockets give him a longer leash, besides wanting to get all the data points to make a decision about his option, yada yada, you can see flashes where he gives them something that Isaiah Hartenstein can't, and Joe Chi probably can't either, although we haven't seen Joe Chi yet because he's had an ankle injury himself in training camp, one that appears a little more significant than... Uh, Hartenstein from what little we've seen of the two players walking around Toyota Center. Chris just has a certain leaping ability that reminds you why he was a top 10 pick in the 2016 draft, why he was seen as such a top prospect at one point early in his college career, even seen as a candidate for number one overall. He is that talented. While it's not that Isaiah Hartenstein isn't athletic, it's not to the level of a top 10 player in the draft. He just has a freakish body. When I'm referring to, to he, I mean Marquise Chris. And so you see it from time to time. There are lobs from Chris Paul and James Harden that Marquise Chris gets to that Isaiah Hartenstein can't. And that potential is tantalizing. If there's something that you've probably heard me say a lot at this show over the past few months, it's that you have to think about the upside scenario when you are competing with a team like the Golden State Warriors. There's more upside with Marquise Chris than there is with Isaiah Hartenstein. There's a higher ceiling. There's also a lower floor. So at some point, that floor needs to be taken into account. But right now in the preseason, I've seen some wondering, why is Chris getting this much run when he's struggling? It's because they see the upside. They see the lobs he can get to, the leaping ability around the bucket, the four blocks in 21 minutes. He's got a dimension to his game. He's got an upside that, other than Clint Capella, none of the other bigs on this roster have. And when you have guards like Chris Paul and James Harden that can bring the best out of you, the Rockets, even though it's been a struggle this first week for Chris, that's why they keep giving him run, because they really, really want it to work out. 
you can see the glimpses. It's just right now, those glimpses are few and far between because I think he's adapting to the new system. I think also there's a little bit of frustration from a slow start. We've also seen Chris more than any other player get frustrated with some of the freedom of movement calls, the ticky-tack whistles from the officials. Maybe that comes from being such a young guy as well. Maybe there's a maturation process. Again, I think some of this can be pointed out and hopefully learned from in the film room in the coming days, those sorts of things. But it's a key storyline to watch moving forward. How do the Rockets blend the ceiling versus the floor arguments? Because there are moments with Marquise Chris out there where the Rockets just don't look very good at all, and he looks like a big liability in the middle. There are also a few moments where he makes wow plays that no one else on this roster, other than Clint Capella, and of course he's not going to play 48 minutes tonight, are capable of making. So it's one of those, I get the frustrations, but I think, especially with the contract situation, but beyond that, just his general nature of upside, that's why you have to keep throwing him out there in the preseason. The preseason is made for guys like Marquise Chris, and you just have to hope that by game four and game five of the preseason, he's in a better place, players like that, than they are in game one and game two. Will it happen? Stay tuned. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, we spent the last few moments discussing the Marquise Chris factor and what the Rockets do with the backup five spot, Chris versus Hartenstein. Hartenstein played very well. He seems more steady, I would say. You see less blatant errors in terms of his cuts, his hands. He's more sharp in his decision-making. He even switched to three, so he's steadier, but Marquise Chris has a little bit higher upside. The bottom line, though, is that both of these guys are younger players, and if neither really stands out, one thing I think we all need to keep in mind is that Mike D'Antoni is not going to force one of those two out there. Yes, they are traditional centers, but he is not afraid of going smaller if no one's giving him what he wants. We saw that some last year with Nene, who's still on the roster, hasn't played yet in the preseason. And as we've explained, I think Nene's going more and more to kind of player coach at this stage of his career. But if the Rockets don't like the matchup for a backup center or they just don't think they're playing that well, they're not afraid to go small. This is Mike D'Antoni, after all. And we saw that in the third quarter when the Pacers started, I believe, on 11 to nothing run. And then they actually pulled Marquise Chris for Michael Carter-Williams, went small with Carmelo Anthony at the five. And the Rockets promptly went on a 21-2 run as soon as that switch was flipped. And Carmelo actually did a pretty decent job boxing out and holding his own even on the low block against Miles Turner. Now, yes, it's the preseason. I understand that. But generally speaking, the spacing from that group was extraordinary. I think it especially helps Michael Carter-Williams thrive if you have a five that can shoot from the perimeter because it offsets sort of the weakness in spacing that you would have with Michael Carter-Williams. So it's not like you have the paint gummed up because you have Michael Carter-Williams and a big that can't shoot. Instead, you just have one player that can't shoot. And so that makes it a little bit easier for Michael Carter-Williams to have the driving lanes to succeed. And again, Michael Carter-Williams, 15 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists in his 29 minutes, 7 of 12 from the field. But the key to this was Carmelo Anthony. He played the five, and largely the Rockets succeeded with it. And when P.J. Tucker gets back, Mike D'Antoni pointed out in the postgame press conference, he can and has played the five as well. 
Now, for it to work long-term, of course, you're going to have to guard players who are playing harder in the regular season. And generally, Carmelo Anthony, he's off to a good 7 of 12 start, 58% from three in the preseason. He's going to have to keep shooting. That's something that Ryan Anderson wouldn't do a year ago at times. He's going to have to keep making them. But if he can make shots at a high level, if he can space the floor, then yes, it can work. And that's something that can speak to what the Rockets saw in Carmelo Anthony. Again, I've said for a while that the idea that Carmelo Anthony was brought in to replace Trevor Ariza, it's a misnomer. No, he was brought in to replace Ryan Anderson to be a more consistent, a more steady version of a 4-5 in Mike D'Antoni's scheme who doesn't get as hesitant from behind the arc. Because if there's one thing we know about Carmelo Anthony, he's not going to get gun-shy. He is going to keep putting it up, whether he's making them or not, and he trusts his shot. And that's so valuable in this scheme of Mike D'Antoni's that gets you so many open looks. And we did see at times the last two years, starting with when Nene went down in the 2017 playoffs against the Spurs, and then after the All-Star break when Ryan Anderson came back from his injury, the Rockets wanted to try Ryan Anderson at the five. They thought that could work. It's just basically the combination of injuries and Ryan losing faith in his jump shot. He just wasn't playable enough offensively. It wasn't really that defensively it failed. It was more that he just wasn't providing anywhere near enough offense to offset the obvious disadvantage in terms of bulk, size on the low block, those types of things. It's not that the Rockets think that Carmelo Anthony or P.J. Tucker at their height, their physique, that they're going to be able to match up with the Miles Turner's of the world. It's just they think they're going to get enough advantages, especially offensively, to where it can work in a pinch. Well, last year with Ryan Anderson, it wasn't so much that the concept was wrong. It was that the thing that Ryan's supposed to be good at, which is shooting, he wasn't. He lost confidence. That's not going to happen with Carmelo. So again, Carmelo's not brought in to replace... Trevor Ariza, I think James Ennis was brought in for that, and as mentioned earlier, he had a good game. Carmelo brought in to replace Ryan Anderson, and so yes, he can play some as the backup four, but he can also play some as the backup five, and it's an option the Rockets had so much success with it in that small dose, that 21-2 run over about six or seven minutes in the third quarter. It's a reminder that given certain matchups, they can absolutely deploy that in the regular season and maybe even the postseason as well. I know that's something Billy Donovan did in Game 6 of the Thunder Jazz series. He thought that was most useful for Carmelo Anthony with his skill set now at 34 years old. I don't know that the Rockets would outright declare Carmelo Anthony to be their backup center. I think generally they'll name someone, be it Chris or Hartenstein, to have the role the same way that Nene did last year and the season before that. But in certain matchups, if one of those guys struggles because they are young, if Hartenstein's ankle injury acts up again, those types of things, I don't think the Rockets are going to be afraid to deploy it. And so far, so good. Carmelo Anthony, he seemed to embrace the role. It's not like Oklahoma City or in New York when he was declining to play power forward. He seems to be accepting the way the NBA is going. That's something he's been very introspective, I would say, in training camp. Generally speaking, Carmelo seems to be adapting to the new NBA and accepting it in ways that he wouldn't and didn't earlier in his career. And maybe that comes from maturity, but whatever the reason, I think that's why it puts him mentally, and that's something I said after the preseason opener, that's something I said in yesterday's podcast with Matt Bullard, it puts him in a mental position to succeed that a few years ago it might not have. So sure, it always helps that the ball is going in the bucket. Again, Carmelo's 7 of 12, 58% from three. But beyond that, it's not just that he's hot and he's making some shots. It's also the way he's flowing in the offense, the way he's accepting lots of different roles. He hasn't come off the bench yet because he started in the absence of P.J. Tucker. But generally speaking, this is not Carmelo who's going in with an iron fist saying, I know what I do. I know what my role is. No, he's being accepting of being used in lots of different ways. And that, to me, is extremely encouraging. And this lineup with Carmelo at the five 
it's a big deal because yeah, if you're not comfortable in either of your your young backup centers stepping up, then it's something you could deploy. And also, it's a way you could get more playing time. Keep in mind for some of your other wing players, because especially after adding Brandon Knight, who still hasn't played in the preseason, a big question I've seen around the NBA community with regards to the Rockets is how do you find minutes for all this newfound depth off the bench? Because in addition to the obvious, whichever doesn't start out of Eric Gordon and James Ennis, by the way, I asked Mike D'Antoni before the game about Ennis starting instead of Gordon. That's not really a tell that they've selected Ennis as a starter. I think they're still open-minded to starting Gordon, which is something we heard before camp. It's just that with Carmelo forced into the starting lineup due to P.J. Tucker sitting out, they feel they need that scoring punch off the bench in the form of Eric Gordon. Now, if P.J. comes back and that puts Carmelo off the bench, then maybe they consider starting Eric Gordon. But basically right now, the reason Eric's coming off the bench, it's not that anything's been decided. It's that they feel they need someone to anchor that second unit, and it can't be Carmelo because he's starting for P.J. So now that puts Eric Gordon back into that six-man role. We'll have to see if that continues the key decision date will be once P.J. is back, and then we see once Carmelo is off the bench, do they keep Eric Gordon off the bench? Do they insert him in the starting lineup? We'll have to wait and see. Hopefully we find out sooner rather than later. Again, next preseason game is Sunday in San Antonio. But the point is, you've got both Ennis and Gordon, one coming off the bench. Then you've got Michael Carter-Williams, who, as we've discussed, has been a revelation early in the preseason. You've got Gerald Green, who didn't play because of the extracted tooth. You've got Brandon Knight, who hasn't even played yet because... He's had an infection in that surgically repaired knee. It sounds like he'll be ready shortly after preseason. And it's tough to find minutes all of these for all of these guys. I've been through minutes exercises before in terms of the 240 minutes that the Rockets have to distribute. I'm not going to do that in full again. But where it gets tricky is that if you're giving Carmelo Anthony most of his minutes at the four spot, then all of a sudden that wing spot gets gummed up very quickly between Ennis, Harden, Gordon, Gerald Green, Michael Carter-Williams, Brandon Knight. I mean, it's easy to have those minutes and, you know, the point guard spots all taken for by Chris Paul and James Harden for 48 minutes. But those others, they go by pretty quickly. And Gerald Green, for example, we didn't see him on Thursday night because of the tooth extraction, but he's actually an underrated defender as well. So I mentioned the team's defensive performance being related to the absence of Clint Capella and P.J. Tucker. I think Gerald Green not having his versatility, his flexibility, his quickness on the perimeter, that can hurt as well. So you want to find time for him. Well, if Carmelo Anthony's playing at the four, then that really ties up the minutes to the four spots between P.J. and Carmelo, and that leaves just 96 minutes, two positions for all those other players. Well, all of a sudden, if you're giving Carmelo some of his minutes at the five, then that opens up not just the two and the three, but also the four so that you can find more playing time for that depth at the end of the bench, the Gerald Green or the end of the functional bench, I should say, Michael Carter-Williams, Brandon Knight. It's hard to see minutes for all of those guys if you're really looking at a more traditional four and five where P.J. Tucker and Carmelo are at the four, and then Clint Capella and whoever your backup center is, Marquise Chris, Isaiah Hartenstein, backup center in name, are getting those minutes, and that's going to get tight very quickly. But if Carmelo Anthony plays some at the five, and that's going to make it all the more easier to play some of those wing guys. And if there's one thing we should know about Mike D'Antoni, he's not going to force a five for the sake of it being a five. If he trusts his wing players more than he does his backup center, then he'll move someone else to the backup center spot and try to make it work. That's what makes Mike D'Antoni unique. That's what makes his system work, is that it's all about the system. It's about the confidence factor rather than trying to force people into a, a role just because they have a certain body type. So in closing, I don't 
think after one game we can say that Carmelo Anthony at the five is going to be that regular of a thing, although we did talk about it in the postgame with Carmelo, and it's pretty clear that the Rockets have at least broached the subject in the past. But at the same time, while it's just one game, it's something to think about, something to watch the remainder of the preseason, because if he succeeds in that role, well, obviously it's good for the team because he's making shots. Again, four of six from three from Carmelo. He was their standout on night. The Rockets overall went 15 of 40 from deep, which is pretty solid, 38% from the field. But beyond just the fact it puts Carmelo in a space to succeed, because a lot of opposing big men don't want to come all the way out to 24, 25 feet away, which is Carmelo's shooting range, so it can get him some good looks. But beyond that, it also has the upside of getting more minutes for those wing players. And so... If Hartenstein has an ankle tweak, if Chris is disappointing you, then it's not just that you have to force someone else in at the backup five. It could be that you go smaller and then replace, say, a disappointing Marquise Chris with one of these other guys. So that's why I wanted to mention this shortly after the Chris segment. Again, you do have to keep running Chris out there in the preseason, in my opinion. His upside is too tantalizing not to, especially in the league with the Warriors. But long term, going into the regular season, if Chris isn't working out, then it's not just Isaiah Hartenstein, Joe Chi, and Nene you need to be looking at. You also need to be open-minded to the fact that, hey, maybe the lack of a backup center emerging, a consistent one, lends itself to a rotation that's a little bit smaller and maybe helping out this backlog of wings you have to where now all of a sudden there's an easier pathway for some of them to get minutes. But as far as what happens with that, uh, stay tuned. At the end of the day, it's one preseason game. And now that our podcast is over 30 minutes long, I think we've talked about enough for this one. We'll have more analysis when we have more data points, which comes Sunday afternoon when the Rockets are next on the floor against the San Antonio Spurs in San Antonio. Until then, though, this is where I will leave you. As always, thanks to all of you for tuning in. If you want more content before the next show, which should come Sunday afternoon, the best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm on there at Ben DuBose. The show is on there at Locked on Rockets. Also got an email address, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. Facebook account, Facebook.com slash Rockets. A website, LockedOnRockets.com. Always you can access our content, ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, or inquire about how to become a potential sponsor of the program and keep us financially viable just the same way that Vivid Seats was today. Remember, download the Vivid Seats app or go to VividSeats.com, enter the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $20 off your orders up $200 or more as a new customer. Also, besides the benefits of supporting the show, if you would go to any of our platform hosts, those being iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, et cetera, et cetera, and subscribe to us, not only does it, of course, help out the sponsors, help out me, but it also gets you the shows right when they come out. And that's a benefit because now that we're back to our regular daily format, we've got shows all the time. It hasn't even been 24 hours since we had our last episode, which I thought was a really good interview with Matt Bullard live from Toyota Center just before yesterday's game. So if you haven't listened to that, I strongly encourage you to check that out as well, again, through any of our podcast platform partners. And also, if you haven't checked out one final plug, Locked on Texans or Locked on Aggies, I know it's a big football season around these parts, and the Locked on Podcast Network has shows not just in basketball, but we've got baseball, we've got football, we've got college sports, and here in Houston, we've got great shows covering the Texans, and of course the nearby Texas A&M Aggies in College Station. So if you're into either the Houston, Texas, or Texas A&M athletics, then I would encourage you to check out one of those shows as well. You can find them at the same places you find Locked on Rockets. For today, though, and this week of Locked on Rockets, barring any sort of shocking news, of course, if there's a Jimmy Butler trade or something like that, of course, we'll break in. But I think this is where we will leave you, and then we'll pick things back up Sunday when the Rockets play the Spurs. My understanding is that it will not be televised, but the Rockets are planning on having a stream of it, most likely at their website at rockets.com. That has not been officially announced yet, though, so stay tuned. When it is, I'll let you know on Twitter. Again, I'm on there, at Ben Dubose. 
For today, though, this will do it. Uh, thanks to all of you for listening. Have a great weekend. Oh, and go Astros, because the uh, MLB postseason run for the defending World Series champion Houston Astros, it starts today, and that's what I'm going to be locked in on for these next couple of days. So we'll pick things up Sunday, which fittingly is an off day for the Astros. Rockets back at it, and then that's when we'll be right back here at Locked on Rockets, your home for podcast analysis of Houston Rockets basketball. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.